Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Once again, I'm streaming to you from my sumptuous balcony in Las Vegas, Nevada, looking out at my beautiful view of the park that's across the way from me and this huge evergreen tree that stands in the way of inward visibility. I absolutely love it. It's also really cool as I bet the neighbors get a business education without having to subscribe to the Business Creators Radio Show, which I urge you to do. Our episodes tend to have a from the field aspect to them. And as a listener, I encourage you to have a pad of paper and two pens out so you can capture those aha moments that will naturally arise as your curiosity is sparked by leaning into what we're going to share with you today. I say a pad of paper and two pens because just at that moment, we need to write something down. The pen runs out of ink, the pen breaks, or if you, like me, have a cat, the cat picks up the pen and runs away with it while I can't do anything about it. So always have two. With that, we're going to discuss a topic that is really near the center of my brilliance and my passion. It's about the pros and cons of being a successful solopreneur. You've heard me perhaps state before, if you follow the show regularly, that one of our audience avatars are solopreneurs who are in the process of transitioning to leverage through building teams, through expanding technologies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I've made the argument for years that perhaps building a big team isn't necessarily the way to go. Perhaps there are certain industries that that model doesn't serve. So we're going to have sort of a hybrid conversation today with our guest. He's going to share with us some of his insights about the insurance business. And we're also going to have a conversation about success as a solopreneur and maybe weigh some of the pros and cons of whether you should remain a solopreneur. And yes, there is an argument for it, or whether you really should go into leveraging your business. I have an answer to this. I may reveal it through our conversation. But for now, let's get our guest introduced. His name is David Duford. He's the founder of DavidDuford.com, which is successful, excuse me, a successful virtual insurance agency, helping new and experienced agents nationally become top producers. He's the author of three best-selling insurance sales and marketing books, including The Official Guide to Selling Insurance for New Agents, The Official Guide to Selling Final Expense Insurance, and Interviews with Top Producing Insurance Agents. David's also a YouTube influencer in insurance sales with a rapidly growing audience of over 18,000 subscribers and more than 1.5 million total views. And if you're listening to this a year from now, I bet you those numbers are 50 times that size, the way this guy's blown up. David Duford, come on in. The weather's fine. Greetings and salutations. Thanks for having me. Before we dive in, we have a lot to cover today. We like to do is we like to say the following. I read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure if I... I'm worthy to be here, and it's my own show. That being said, tell us a bit about your journey in your own words and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. It could be what inspired you, what motivated you, your seminal success story, whatever it is you feel will help your listeners understand more where you're coming from. Well, I mean, geez, get, getting here was nothing other than an act of desperation, really. I had, uh, okay. had a personal training gym back in 2011, had run that for a couple of years and the great recession hit, Main Street was suffering and businesses like mine were kind of on the rocks. And I got desperate, couldn't find a job. What do you do? You sell insurance. So that's how I got into insurance sales and I had my ups and downs, uh, failed out of the business once before coming back in uh, to do very well and eventually uh, duplicated myself through the process of building an agency to teach others how to do the same thing 
as I have. And, and the main, main reason, I guess you can say here is, as we were kind of talking about our avatars earlier, I've got a Kool-Aid avatar. Yes. <laughs> In our business, uh, the Kool-Aid is served uh, by the truckload. There's a lot of this, um, as we can talk about later, I'm sure, a very big uh, culture of multi-marketing, direct sales, and uh, you know, selling the dream, if you will, but not really selling the skill set necessary to be top producers. And so I came into this business with, with you know, the understanding of that I failed out and I came back and acquired this knowledge that I wanted to help other people avoid the mistakes I did and make this into a sustainable career where, you know, they could make a great income, have the freedom associated with running a business, but, but have the skill set to make it sustainable. You know, I have a certain affinity for insurance agents because I almost became one. It was a year after I graduated from Penn State and I was in a period where I'd finished a bachelor's degree education and decided the very last minute that I, there was no way I wanted to be the thing I had been studying for for four years. So I took the first crappy job that came along. Now, a few months into this, I uh, connected at a deeper level with my family's insurance agents and the conversation evolved to, would I like to join his practice? So mm -hmm. I started studying the materials. He and I had some sit downs. I ultimately decided not to do it. Uh, I actually like him. He's still a friend of mine to this day, even though uh, I don't even live in that area anymore. We still keep in touch. And I also, you know, I, I, I don't think it was necessarily could have been a bad move for me. But what I decided is, you know, I did not go through all that to live in my hometown, which I always despised. That's just me. I, I never felt like I belonged there. So why would I plant stakes there was the first item. The second item is, is in my conversations with him, I was just getting indicators. I had ideas for innovation that were just not gelling with that industry. So right. I had some concerns, even at age 22, before I even knew how to process these things at a really deep level. I was always already getting concerns about cultural fit, not with him per se, but just with the industry overall. Mm. So that being said, uh, every insurance agent that I've ever dealt with has been a total class act. I think that insurance agents are awesome. I think they do something which is very critical to our lives. Insurance is that thing that you don't need until you need it. And right. in the meantime, you question why you're paying for it. So right. I remember in school when we did the, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't remember anybody saying, I want to be an insurance agent, but you love it. So what are they missing? It's just boring. I mean, that's what it is. There's no sex appeal to, to selling right. insurance. Let's face it. And especially if you sell something like life insurance, you know, the premise of life insurance is it's all about you dying. Right. And nobody wants to think about that. So and there's not really a lot of innovation. There's not a lot of tech. You know, it's not like a lot of other, you know, those high, uh, you know, stress, but, you know, kind of kind of industries that have that kind of reputation, like, you know, uh, managing money or banking or investing uh -huh. or whatever. So but the beautiful thing about it is it, it is a mass market product there. Uh, if you've got a pulse. Uh, you should own life insurance, at least, of course, we think you should. Yeah. And uh, most people don't have enough of it. In fact, life insurance is at historical lows relative to 50 years ago. And uh, there's so much about this business that makes it great right now. There's uh, the average agent is 59 years old. He's about to retire. We need more people in the business. There's more and more people who need it. We target the baby boomer population. So there's a lot of people who are thinking about dying because they're getting old and closer to the age, you know, so they're open-minded to this stuff now. So it's just, most people just stumble across it is really what happens, Adam. They, they don't think or want this, but then kind of like my story, they just, they don't have really under the, any other choice. So they're like, well, what the hell? Might as well look into it. And they find out there's just this huge world of opportunity they never really knew existed. Right. And, you know, what I also like to point out is life insurance particular is one of the most unsexy things out there, except that if you have a certain type of life insurance, you can actually use that as leverage to gain capital to grow your business. We've covered this on a few other episodes of Business Creators Radio. And when I have a chance, I'll go back and look up which ones they were, but it's a recurring theme to the point where I've actually taken out some additional life insurance for myself for that explicit purpose. It is actually possible, depending on the type of life insurance you have, to borrow against it to get capital to grow your business. I was amazed to learn that. That's why part of the reason I do this show, because I learn something every time as well. So 
going on, um, how does a person succeed and avoid failure in the insurance business? And one of the reasons I ask this is even in that rinky-dink small town I come from, and uh, I mean no disrespect to the friends I still have there, uh, but it is a rinky-dink small town, uh, they're like eight insurance agents, including my friend. And uh, like every major insurance company is represented in this town of like 1800 people. Right. Yeah. How, how can you be successful in this business? You know, I, I think it just comes down to choosing the right, it really just business fundamentals. You got to pick the right niche. It's not enough just to be the insurance man. You've got to have that uh, niche market with a specific need for a specific product to really, uh, you know, be able to better define yourself and focus your efforts on. I think that's a big one. Second of all, you need a system to get you in front of the right people who raise their hands, figuratively speaking, expressing interest in your product. And it's got to be duplicatable and sustainable. And then number three, you have to have the training and support to develop yourself. Sales is a skill set. Uh, it's a soft skill. It's uh, an art and a science. And it's best learned from somebody who has done what you are intending to do. Uh, you really want to work with people who know the business and will help support and coach you to be better. And kind of a combination of all three of those things are, I think, what is really the differentiating factor. And unfortunately, too many agents don't do it because the failure rate in this business has always been high. And it's at least yeah. 90% fall out, fail out in the first year. Wow. I didn't know it was that high. It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm familiar again because my friend who is an insurance agent, I worked with his agency for 15 years for my insurance needs before I relocated to Nevada and I was required by law to deal with an agency based in Nevada. Uh, but that being said, I remember that there was some turnover in his office. People would come and go. Uh, and I believe that a lot of that could be attributable, attributable to the positions being largely entry level or people just finding that it wasn't really a fit for them all along, but I didn't know it was 90%. Yeah, it's, it's in part, there's two reasons why. Number one, it's, there's a low threshold to entry. You know, when you were, if you want to work, I don't know, buy a franchise for a major restaurant, not everybody can do it. You know, they got to run your background. They got to make sure you've got the investable capital. Are you liquid? You know, so there's a higher success rate, I would say, when there's more required upon you in order to do it. Uh, yeah. But with, with, with insurance, you just have to take a test and then you're a, a bona fide insurance agent, right? So easy come, easy go. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, the other aspect too is, is, this, is this culture of mass recruitment. Uh, anybody with a pulse is approached and said that you're right for the business and uh, isn't necessarily um, vetted as well as they should be or qualified as a good uh, as an agent that would be a good fit. And so many people come into this with false pretenses without the truth of what it takes to be successful. So therefore, I, there's a good percentage of people just fail because what they thought they were going to get, they got something entirely different. Are you referring to that vision of they're going to hang out a shingle and because everybody needs insurance, people are going to be banging down their door? Yeah, there's the, there's some of that, you know, there's some of that language. The the biggest issue I think in our business is the the old hat of uh, you know, look at me and my Ferrari and look at my fat stacks of cash, like that that kind of mentality and the show off, the materialism like that's what's heavily pushed and people get just swept away with it. You know, it's it's they're going to be the next millionaire, right? And all they have to yeah. do is talk to anybody who's friends and family with them to, to sell and, and recruit with them. Right. And, and all that does is perpetrate, uh, perpetuate the top of the, the pyramid, if you will, and really does no good for the agent who doesn't know what he's doing um, and has no skill set to really help people. Yeah. If I, you know, just a personal observation, I know of some insurance agents who, if you check out their social media presence, they have the picture of, it might not be a Ferrari or a, a Maserati or some other pasta rocket, which is what my, which, which is actually what my friend affectionately calls his own Maserati. So, um, and uh, and this and he, my friend has had Maseratis and Ferraris. Uh, I think he's aiming toward a Lamborghini. He just loves his, as he likes to call them, pasta rockets. He himself is not an insurance agent, but I know insurance agents who, if they don't have the quote unquote pasta rocket or they don't have the German supercar, they do have some sort of high-end vehicle that 
and they the way they present it to the audience is like look at me and look 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 at the ride i'm flossing in type thing yeah and then they show off their their bling and their and their shopping trips and their exotic vacations yep. and you know something about that just makes me think do i really want them as my insurance agent yeah yeah for sure and it's all show it's all just a big fake it's just like social media for the most part. It's just a got to get that right angle at the right spot to get the perfect picture. And, you know, that's what's presented as what it is. And you never really hear about what actually happens or how much debt they're in for their acquisitions as well. So right. a lot of people get turned off by that, thankfully, <laughs> but a lot of people yeah. don't and they find that stuff attractive. And, you know, they think that just because someone's driving that thing around means that they know what they're doing or they can, support you to grow your your own business it's it's not quite doesn't quite follow like that in actuality yeah well a they could be in a totally upside down lease over that vehicle or mm -hmm. that vehicle could be their significant others that uh, is paid for by their significant other or something like that and there's also the thing and the reason i bring this up is when you see imagery like that and i do see a good bit of it it could be contributing to this misconception that when folks want to get involved in insurance, which as you described is very much an unsexy business, it gives them starry eyed perspectives on what they could easily accomplish just by taking out an ad in their local rotary flyer and saying, look at me, I'm an insurance agent. So, right. Hey, I belong to my local rotary chapter. Um, I haven't been making it to the meetings as much as, uh, as uh, I'd like to do to how much my podcast reach system is blowing <laughs> up and the time I need to do it. That's for my rotary friends who are listening to this. Yes. I miss you guys. Um, uh, but uh, I happen to know that when I get the, we get the rotary flyer every week, the, the, the brochure they hand out and if you can't attend the meeting they email to you because they have a zoom option with the with mm -hmm. the buck going around and everything uh i know that the sides like wrapped around all the actual chapter information they're all the little ads that are actually the business cards of all these different insurance agents representing every agency under the sun if it was really that easy everybody in that chapter would be changing insurance every month right right no, it's, it's, it's not easy. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's just the thing is it's presented as easy and it's presented as, and it, and it really, it's, it's enjoyable. It's good work. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy um, as far as helping people out. It's not rocket surgery, but um, yeah, that's part of this imagery is, is really why a lot of people think insurance is a scam as far as a career opportunity you know, and it just, none of this helps the reputation of it as being professional and a good service, which it really is. Right. So, uh, and, and again, just to finish my little sidebar point there, when I look at an insurance agency, I look at my friend who I mentioned earlier, and if you look at his social media, his Facebook, his, uh, he has an Instagram account because I guess he figured out that uh, Instagram works for him because he, he's the type of that guy that doesn't do anything unless he can demonstrate ROI on it. He pulls out enough in a hot minute if it's a waste of time. Uh, and I look and I look at the photographs he posts, they're all pictures of his family and uh, his vacations and him doing things like uh, in his workshop, in his garage, uh, fixing the lawnmower, uh, polishing his minivan. Uh, in other words, images of stability, foundation. Right, right, right. No, that's kind of the route I take, you know, I, in my... Uh, in my efforts to promote my practice, you know, I, I never talk about what I make. Uh, frankly, I'm old school. It's nobody's business, but except my wives and, and my own, my wife, excuse me. <laughs> and, I, I, I was about to ask you some other secrets. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but no, I talk about since I talk about sincere issues, one of which being, how do you actually be successful here? Because many agents honestly you know earnestly complain they don't get help and they don't know what they're doing or where to start and my whole projection my image is well let's talk about things that you can put into into effect right now to help you help more people because that's the road to riches it's how many people can you help but to help people you got to know what you're doing and so my whole imagery and and message has been what can i help agents with specifically that's gonna you know give them the skill set to success yeah, so you mentioned that insurance is considered by many to be a boring, unsexy business model. Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, many marriages after a while become unsexy, but they become actually greater marriages because of the 
combination of melding and symbiosis between the the two halves of the couple or all mm -hmm. the participants if we want to be really inclusive here uh so that being said why should someone look to run their own business in selling insurance like what's the appeal well um first of all you can make a good income if you're skilled and you work without the need of having employees that, that was probably the biggest call for me is that there's so much money to be made in the insurance business and i don't have to worry about motivating people or employing people or dealing with employees and there's also the opportunity to diversify income streams uh, you can uh, do life insurance products, which is predominantly an active income stream. You have to go sell it to make money, of course, like most of us do. But there are products like Medicare or property and casualty, which are more passive in nature. And you can um, essentially disconnect your work, your active work from your money that you're making, because you know, what you make is based off of what happened, not necessarily today, but from years ago. So many people are kind of attracted to real estate. Uh, as far as a passive income opportunity, there's something similar here in the in, in the insurance space, um, but without the need to deal with a lot of moving parts and a lot that just depends on yourself as far as going to work. Does selling insurance make a good side hustle? I think so. That I you know I started it really before I shut down my personal training gym. I found what we call final expense insurance, which is this niche, essentially burial insurance sold to senior citizens, retired and disabled. That was the niche I wound up in. And I started that part-time while I had my, um, my gym going because I didn't want to shut the gym down. I wasn't doing well, but I was making enough money to get by. So I was leery of just dropping it. And uh, I started it on the sides when I wasn't doing any business with the, the personal training gym. I'd go out and sell insurance and then the next day or, you know, the second half of the day, I'd go back into the gym and train some clients. So I think it's a, it's a, I recruit a lot of agents to do just the same, just to start part time around what their schedule is, work on weekends, nights, mornings, and accumulate that experience to give themselves that ultimate confidence, which most people eventually want to go full time and, and start a part time is absolutely, absolutely fine. Right. Uh 25 years ago, when we didn't really know the term side hustling, that's actually one of the ideas I had about possibly getting involved in the industry. And I asked my friend, uh, you know, what, you know, how, how could I benefit your practice if I did this on the side while I did other things? He recommended against it. I think mm -hmm. it's because he really wanted me to work in his office, which, right. you know, it's his decision. It's what he wanted for his business. But I'm seeing more and more of my friends get involved in this. Number one, I'm blown away by how many of my friends, particularly in the entrepreneurial space, uh, like, those that have uh, information courses, those that uh, have success programs, those that are book coaches, uh, you know, podcasting coaches even. And then I find out, oh, they're also realtors. <laughs> right, now, right. Now, some, now, some of that, or rather a piece of it at least, stems from laws in certain states that hold, if you have investment properties that you rent out to others, you're required to have a realtor's license. Right. And uh, some of them, once they get their required realtor's license, just to be able to rent out their properties, if they're acting as their own management company, will then say, hey, you know what? I could flip a few houses here on the side and uh, add to my bank account. So that's how sure. they become realtors, so to speak. It's a right. side hustle and they do it at their convenience. So right. fair enough. Right. right. Now, I also, I'm also finding out that to be a mortgage originator, the barriers to entry are so low that mm -hmm. they make the insurance agency, you know, the insurance industry's uh, barriers to entry feel like a doctoral thesis. <laughs> and Pulse will hire. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and uh, I, have a, I have a friend of mine who actually is, um, he's a very high level engineer in concrete fabrication. And seeing opportunity for himself uh, right now, he's uh, he's in a very good job that has flexible hours. He actually gets to work from home three and a half days a week. It's freaking awesome for him. And uh, so he thought, hey, all these places are paying premium wages for for rote jobs. They're offering twenty dollars an hour for something that should be minimum wage because they can't get employees. Right. The hell with it. I'm going to go deliver pizzas three nights a week. Yeah. He's making bank off of it. So the reason I bring that up is I just wanted to see how the insurance agency has evolved 
and whether it really is a sustainable model to do as a side hustler. I met side hustle. I mean, I'm, I imagine I have some people right now who are listening to this thinking, yeah, what is something sustainable that I can do with moderate efforts and make moderate income from? Because I'm not looking to yeah. make a zillion dollars, but I would like to have this maybe be the funding for my Bitcoin investments or the funding for right. my my kid's college or something like that. Right. No, I've, I, you know, I started part-time. I failed out of the business uh, about a year into it. And then I got back into a part-time a second time. So I've been there, done that. I've made it work. The key, the reason I think that there's maybe your friend had resistances and a lot of agencies do resist this idea. Uh, they want you all in. They want you completely committed. And yeah. some people take the the idea that this is a business you're about to start in. And when you're part time, you're partially committed. Right. And I don't think that's the case. Every I can't say every agent who started with me is successful, but there are a good bit of part timers, you know, myself, others that they started that way. And once they saw that this business actually worked for them, they were that much more confident to go full time because when you see the money that's possible usually compared to what you're doing on the side or doing your full-time gig, you want to go that direction. You want autonomy. You want a business after all. You want to run your own ship. Uh, you just need to make sure it works for you give up all these benefits and this career you've built. And, and I respect that. I get that. And it definitely can work as long as you treat it with a full-time mentality, right? That's, that's yeah. the key thing is even if you're only out there a couple of days a week, you know, for a couple of hours between your full-time profession, don't treat it like it's just a, you know, ho-hum kind of thing. I'll do it whenever. No, treat it like it's a business. It's just part-time. Right. So have that commitment that's necessary and, and it can definitely work. Right. So for example, if uh, you're side hustling as an insurance agent, then you have set hours you work on that business. And that could even translate yeah. to office hours. So if you have a nine to five job, then you have a home office and you open it up three nights a week to see clients, which could work for the clients who uh, could actually get you clients because many insurance agency offices are open from nine to five where everybody's working. You're the one that's open in the evening after they're done from work. You can pick up clients just off that. And, and, and I'll say a couple of things to that, Adam, that make this even more pal uh, palatable. Uh, number one, you know, there's so many um, as needed rental options. Now I can't think of some of the names of the companies, but you can go in and rent space, uh, piecemeal when you need it, Yep. You know, where you're not constantly doing, uh, you don't have to have a full-time commercial space. And second of all, a lot of these sales opportunities, simply put, you go to the client's home. You don't have to have a home office. You don't need those startup costs that can be prohibitive to begin with. Yeah. So even more reason, I think, to make it work, uh, you know, yeah. on a time basis. Uh, yeah. So David, you work from eight to six and you really want to meet with an agent, but you just can't get time off to go to their office during the banker's hours they keep. I'll come over to your home at 730. How's that sound? I just got a client. Exactly. Yeah. I just got a client because I'm the one who is able to make time to meet you. Right. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and again, I think part of that traces back to how there's a certain unsexiness about the business. And I think one of the aspects that I see is you know, you know, you can negotiate to a degree, you know, premiums and deductibles and things like that. But the bottom line is the product is the product and what sells right. it is the person. Yes. Yes. This is a, this is a funny business. I, I can't tell you how many homes I've been in or agents that uh -huh. I've worked with that have gone in and sold a no name insurance company that the client had never heard of, nor will probably ever mention again until they're dead. And, yeah. and the only reason that is, is because of the connection that the agent made with the client. Uh, that's why, you know, you know, it's interesting in our business. There, there isn't this kind of Amazon-like player that's wiping out the mom and pop shops, if you will, kind of like right. how they came in and, you know, wiped out retail. It's, it's, it, there, there's people and organizations trying, but, you know, we have an old saying that I think reigns true is life insurance is sold. It's not bought. You have to be approached and, and help people see the problem because they otherwise want to ignore getting insurance, especially uh -huh. life insurance, because it's about you dying and it's a morbid topic. And if you sell yourself as somebody who's trustworthy and believable, if you're a genuine person, and again, you don't have to be some select salesperson, if you care about the person and can explain to them how something works, nine out of 10 people who are qualified will buy from you and they'll want right. to do business with you just because of not the company, not the branding but from you and your connection and desire to help them. Yeah. Uh, you know, up until about six months ago, 
my life insurance policy was just something I keep. And uh, the entire purpose of it was so that if something happens to me uh, terminally, where I'm no longer here, my heirs don't get stiffed with the cost of having me stuck in the oven and cremated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I've, I've already decided I've decided that I'm not going to push up daisies after I go. I want to sit on somebody's mantle and be a reminder of uh, what a joyous, wonderful person I was while I was alive. But that still costs money. And uh, they're probably going to want to have some sort of celebration of life for me. I actually hope they party because after all, it should be a celebration of life. Uh, That being said, that stuff does cost a bit of money. We're usually talking five digits, even for, even if you're getting involved with cremation, because it's really, and I intentionally said, stick me in the oven and cremate me. uh, So I could bring up the point that it's not as simple as just throwing somebody in an oven. There's an actual science and a very specific procedure to collecting the ash and making right. sure all the ash is just me. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the point is, that's why I've had life insurance up until about six months ago. But just from interviewing people on the Business Creators Radio Show who are involved in wealth creation and just hearing them explain to me the way you explained it just now, the, the other thing you just explained uh, got me interested in the idea, which I'm working on now, of taking on additional life insurance policies because they can be potential sources of funding for my business. Right. I had never thought of that, but just the fact that I was having a pleasant conversation with somebody allowed it to come up. So that leads to the next point before we get into this uh, little solopreneur debate I want to have with you. Sure. Um, When most people think of sales jobs as unethical and high pressure, I think we're already kind of same page here that that's really not the right portrayal. But what else would you add in terms of helping our listeners understand what really makes you an effective salesperson, particularly for an unsexy product like insurance? Well, I think being a good listener and asking really good open-ended questions is really critical. I think not just the sales, but for certainly selling something as intangible as life insurance is after all, you got to die to get it right. It's probably the most intangible product there is, Uh, you know, and we have a term that we describe that we, we want to have the client be asked disturbing questions. We have to disturb them out of this idea that, Life, you know, bad things happen to other people, right? You know, bad things happen to everybody and our time's going to come. It's just a matter of when, not if. And so we'll ask questions like, God forbid, if you don't have coverage, if that's what you're telling me, if you die tomorrow, well, who's paying for this? And we ask it in a, in a sincere way because we care about their preparation. And it's not so much the problem of the clients per se, the insureds, but it's their family's problem. Many times the, the kid ends up paying the funeral or they do the GoFundMe thing that we've all seen and they don't have the funds to come up with it. And so we ask these questions that, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty, uh, you know, live and let live guy. And I don't like to make anybody squirm, but you have to, when it comes to this stuff sometimes, because better, better now than then, you know? So I think, I think asking really good questions is probably the most under uh, appreciated aspect of a successful, uh, certainly insurance agent, but I I think sales as well. Uh, most agents and most sales professionals emphasize, overemphasize the close. What do you say at the close to convince them? Well, I think they're either convinced or not by then. It should be kind of a foregone conclusion if they're going to buy from if you ask good questions, build value, explain things, educated them. So um, for me, when it comes down to it, I think the biggest thing anybody who's in sales can take away from this conversation is is the power of asking really good open-ended questions to help the prospect decide for themselves that this is something they need and this is a problem and you possibly have the solution for it that that is more powerful than pushing somebody into buying something that is not convinced that it's something that they need right let's just take this back to my analogy for a minute. If somebody just came at me at random and said, hey, if you invest in this certain type of life insurance, and there are different types of life insurance, as you know, uh, there are particular types that allow you to uh, take out money against it, it's basically loans to yourself. You can use that to fund your business. So you just owe your life insurance the money you needed to borrow to get over that, that hump so you could pay your people right. or whatever it is. Now, if somebody came at me with that out of the blue and st- you know was showing me webinars uh, and Facebook challenges on how to create your entrepreneurial dream using life insurance, I'd say, okay, what mastermind are they selling? 
Yeah. However, if you find yourself in a community of entrepreneurs who are actually dealing with the, how do I make payroll? Uh, I'm kind of stuck in this rut right now. And if I could just get a cash flow injection, I could really break out of this. I got a good plan. I'm ready to execute, except these freaking traditional banks treat me like a criminal. Right. Uh, you get you get people in that mindset and you just say, hey, did you know that if you have this type of life insurance that you can borrow against it, uh, pay it back on installments and use that cash flow injection to do that thing with your business you need to do? Well, now that's consultative. That's a right. friend sharing with a friend. And I'm more likely to buy from that person. Yeah, we have to listen to the problems our prospects have and frame what our product does in their own language. It's very important. Yeah. For example, um, I was reading a, a, a publication that comes out every once in a while that talked about how when we think of annuities, that's a four letter word for a lot of people. And you know, a lot of people think, oh, Dave Ramsey and oh, he hates annuities and they're a ripoff, blah, 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 blah. Uh -huh. So there's always this, this already this kind of like preconceived notion of this product before you, you as the agent have any chance of explaining it. And there was some discussion how not talking and not saying annuities, but instead saying guaranteed income for life. Right. Income that you can never outlive. Well, that's a different scenario altogether. We're not talking about the product. We're, we're not talking about the, the, the thing. We're talking about what the benefit, right? So we're completely changing what it's about and getting us to think outside the box. And again, another, you know, another very uh, thoughtful way to, the, to think about insurance, like what you're describing is describe what the benefit is. You know, what, what is it going to do for the client? You know, not necessarily just the, the name of it. Because people jump to conclusions. They don't want to talk about life insurance annuities. But if you can show them how it can solve one of these problems, 100%, it's a very good thing. Yeah. Uh, and as far as Dave Ramsey, I think that a lot of his curriculum is great, for particularly for people who have not figured out multiple streams of revenue and have not quite gotten to the point, or maybe they just don't see it for themselves how it's even possible, that they could solve their crushing debts simply by creating new streams of revenue. And that is some people, that's just how it is. They are just in that mentality of, I got to save my, I got to save my way to wealth. And if you uh, are within that, if you take his baby steps program and you do the cash in the envelope and things like that, that's a, what I like about the cash in the envelope formula is it's about a mindset that, yes, I need this for rent. I need this for utilities. I need this for groceries. And yeah, I need this for date nights with my spouse. So I'm going to include that in my life plan. So when me and the spouse go out, I have these $200 bills in here. This is four dinners for the month, but I've taken care of it. So now I'm not worrying. When can right. we go out? I really don't want to have to do takeout pizza again. That right. sort of thing. Uh, some of his ideas, however, are a little interesting to me. Like, for example, uh, some of his comments actually on insurance. Right. I have some questions about uh, like he like. Sometimes I get the feeling, I don't know if this is intention or not, that he almost conveys that insurance is basically a ripoff and you should just have the cash. But what if you don't have the cash? And the thing, and the thing is, yeah. this, is the reason, this is the reason why even after the 2018 tax reform released me from having to carry health insurance, which I barely even use, I still kept my health insurance. The reason why? Uh, I don't really do much with it day to day because I use other forms of medicine. But right. if I get cancer or something, I'm going to need health insurance. Right. But I don't know when or if I'm going to get cancer. I need to know, I need to know that, uh, that uh, I have something there that's going to cover uh, after $10,000 deductible for whatever, that it's going to cover my treatment. And, I, and it's also nice to know that uh, I have an empty credit card with more than that and available balance so that I can say, all right, well, I got the cancer. We got to fix this. All right. Swipe this for $10,000. There's my deductible. Now fix me. Right, right, and that's and that's part of what and that's part of what having that health insurance does for me. Yeah, since I don't use it that sure. much, I you know, I I increase the deductible to lower the premium, uh, and that's just that's just a uh, strategic decision. But yeah, uh, insurance is important for di different people for different reasons. Now, if you're somebody who heavily uses the healthcare system, then yeah, you might want something with a higher premium and lower deductibles because that will more equitably balance out the expense situation. Yeah. You know, I, I think a Dave Ramsey is a, a good proponent of fundamentals of money management and, and the, his principles are, are good. But the issues that I have with Dave is that I don't look at insurance as fundamentally 
something is bad or good. They're just tools that solve specific types of problems. Yeah. He's a big advocate of term insurance. Um, yep. I am too. But again, term is inappropriate for a 75-year-old with COPD that makes $1,000 a month, you know, that needs $10,000 yeah. to bury them. You can't take that fundamentalist ideology. Um, and I don't think Dave really thinks that he can. He's a smart individual. Um, he, but he's doing what he does. So, so I look at like, we sell a lot of whole life permanent coverage. And uh, the idea behind it is the way the structure of the product's designed is it allows more underwriting liberalness so that we can get somebody with COPD, uh, a policy that's very important to them. And um, while some people scoff at that idea, um, you don't understand how it is until you're that old, everybody's declined you. You know, your, your days, you know, the, you're closer to the end than you are. You were uh -huh. 30 years ago and being prepared, you maybe, yeah, you should have, but you still need to be prepared. So it's a tool that solves for that problem and saying that everything besides term is, is a ripoff is, is incredulous. It's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's dishonest. So, but is that, is that product for that 75 year old right for somebody who's 35? Probably not. And that's okay. Right. So you can offer again have multiple tools in your tool bag as an agent figure out in other words quote unquote diagnose what the client's problem is and then suggest to them a solution that's the best fit for them based off of their circumstances it's and that might be permanent it might be a term product who knows but either yeah. way it's you know we, it's not a moralistic argument uh, right. in, in my opinion Okay, now our listeners know that sometimes I go off on what seems like tangents because I have a strategy behind it. And the strategy here uh, in, a, in our little sidebar about Dave Ramsey and his philosophies and his trainings is simply to illustrate, and this, I think this is important for salespeople, to understand that even if your prospect believes in you and your product generally, they may not believe in everything you say. The likelihood that you're actually going to come up with somebody who doesn't think that at least a piece of what you say is you being full of shit is almost a non-existent. So when you are able to focus on your areas of common belief and you present yourself as the solution to the problem they have, then that might be a more effective way than selling than high pressure or trying to be the one-eyed man leading the blind. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now uh, we have about uh, 15 minutes left here, and I know that uh, you have a little something to share with us at the end. Uh, let's ask the main topic of today's conversation, well, which has you know, become one of the two topics, actually, as a question. In your view, David, what are the pros and cons of being a successful solopreneur? And we'll develop from there. Well, I uh, man, the pros of being a successful solopreneur is that I don't have employees. I don't have anybody to motivate. I don't have um, <clears throat> issues with, you know, employees and having axes to grind or anything like that. I get up and I go to work and I only have to worry about myself. Um, and that's a good feeling um, yeah. where I can control my destiny and, and uh, just, I don't have to, do the things that so many business owners have to do, which is worry about hitting payroll or worrying about, is this employee a good representative of my business? Um, since there are none of that, that's a non-existing issue. And um, it's, it's, a very, it's a very good thing. Now, the drawbacks can be considerable too. It's not all rainbows and sunshine. Right. Uh, it's all on me. Now, I have systems in place to relieve some of the workload of mine that we're, we're applicable. And I do hire VAs, virtual assistants, freelancers to kind of make up for some of my skill deprivation and, you know, like tech stuff. Yep. Um, so, but, but it's all on me, you know, and, and one of the dangers I think of being a solopreneur is do you own a business or do you own a high paying job? Right. <laughs> you know, a business that should serve you. And if you are the business, you know, I don't know how much independence from that thing you have. And that's something that I contend with for on some level, because I brand my business in my name. I'm the guy that runs it. People want to talk to me. People want to work with me. So that's a time demand. Whereas a business that has employees and, you know, designated duties to do some of this stuff, the owner can relieve themselves of some of that work. So there's a give and take to it for sure. Yeah. 
I think I think there is. Uh, I mean, because one of the concerns I can see you having as a soul for Nor is uh, let's just you know put this in present day what, when we're having this conversation. What if you get the bug and you get the really bad version? Yeah, right. Who I mean, who takes care of your clients in the meantime? Yeah, they can call the corporate toll free number and uh, get their policies changed or get their questions answered. You I mean you have that backup? Because I know with my insurance agents. Uh, for my various things, if I can't deal with my actual insurance agent, I can just call their company. But right. yeah, in the meantime, yeah, you can get your customer service taken care of. But what about the sales aspect? What about the relationship aspect? Right. What about the what about the ongoing effort of building the sales conversation that leads you to more clients over time? That can be missing. Right. I, th I think that's why it's important for solopreneurs to diversify their income streams, uh, so that if one goes wayward there's some backups in place like for example you know i've i make a, a considerable amount of money from training agents to go sell they're not employees of mine it's more of like a joint venture relationship uh -huh. and uh, i make a small percentage of their production as commission so they're doing the work i'm not um i sell books i um sell courses i monetize my youtube channel and websites so I have yep. these different ways that I make money that aren't necessarily contingent on me showing up every single day to make sure it happens, you know? So right. one's you're the still, loneliest number in business. You got to always remember that. Right. So even as a solopreneur, you have other streams of income. So the money's still coming in the bank. It may not be the same as David Duford actually out there getting clients, right. but there will still be money coming in. Right. Right. And, and I think all business owners can do something along those lines. And I think it's, it's, it's very important, you know, whether you have one big client as a solopreneur, what if that client walks out the door, right? Yep. That's everything. Or even two or three big clients that you may get uh -huh. paid well, and it's nice to have, you know, not as many to worry about, but then you don't have the strength that's found in numbers at the same time. So uh -huh. diversification is huge. I think if you're a solopreneur and, and just, you know, not over exposing your risk with just one stream that's accountable for, the vast majority of your money, uh, I think is a smart move to yeah. have other strategies in place to overcome that risk. One of my longtime clients who's been with me for almost 15 years, his dream is to be my only client. And he, and, and he, uh, and he asked me from time to time, uh, you know, how much, how much would it, uh, cost me to get you to fire all your other clients and stop all your other business operations and just work with me. And I said, $5 million for the first year. And it goes in escrow and I take a monthly installment. <laughs> now, uh, now I shared that in a Facebook discussion group and uh, a lot of people got what I was saying, but then you get that one and you can vision <laughs> their comments on my post uh, in that thing where you do it in the opposite uppercase and lowercase characters to show how stupid that what they said is, what do you do that's so special that it's worth five million dollars? Okay, <laughs> five million dollars is my number because of my opportunity cost right. and what I run into if two weeks into that arrangement the client drops dead. Right. Right. Because 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 such a deal would also include me acquiring their business so that I have the opportunity to make a go of it as one of my own cash generators. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, and it, it also comes with a provision that I get the $5 million no matter what, which is why I said escrow account. So mm -hmm. they got to give me that money and divorce from it. Yeah. They can let it sit in escrow so they can have the accountability to make sure I'm actually performing uh, when they release the weekly payments to me. But yeah, uh, there's some, yeah. if I, if I, if I were to just say, Okay, cool. Uh, from now on, I'll just charge you an extra three thousand dollars a month, and I won't do anything else. Yeah, that's a great way to screw myself. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's 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 such a good thing. I think to to again, you know, we we see this in insurance sales. We'll have agents that sell a one call pro close product like final expense, and yep. it's a good healthy income, but it's only made when you work. And then they'll diversify and cross sell Medicare which largely is the same pool of prospects, but it's a residual based product that pays an annual income each year for the life of the client uh, without reduction. Or you'll see people who, you know, if you think of baseball, they hit singles and doubles with final expense, but they go yeah. for the home runs and grand, grand slams with annuity sales, mm -hmm. which pay a significant commission. Yeah. So again, just too much going all in on one thing there's there's advantages to that you know that uh -huh. on, on the other hand there's some good things about it but on the other hand 
if you don't think through it, you know, you are, there's a huge opportunity cost that oh yeah can really, really hurt. Right. And here's something else behind the $5 million. Um, I also would need that to be a client who's highly motivated to succeed themselves and will go as all in as I will. Here's right. the reason why. After that exclusive relationship ends, I got to go get clients again because that $5 million isn't going to last me the rest of my life. It'll, it'll cover me for a while. So I have the leisure of rebuilding the way I really want to, but I'm going to have to use my year working with them as my case study to attract new clients. Right. Gets you yeah. out of the game of finding, you know, and there's a lot of value in honing your craft at prospecting and getting in front yeah. of people, creating new relationships. Cause you know, it just all doesn't sell at once. Sometimes it takes years to grow, you know, and getting out of that and focusing on one, one strategy or one product or one client, you know, just there's a lot, there is, there's a lot more risk to it. Yeah. I also think that uh, going back to my tagline, there's an issue of brilliance and passion. Uh, insurance, as you've said, is an unsexy business, but you seem to love it. Um, so I think that that has a big piece of it. And I think of the story of a friend of mine who joined a mastermind and she has a, a coaching business. It, it's, it's, a, it's a life coaching business. And uh, you know she sees X amount of clients and it generates her X amount of revenue. So one of her reasons for joining the mastermind is, you know, what can I do to market to get more clients, perhaps raise my rates a little, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And without even getting into or asking her questions about what really matters to her, they immediately pounced on her with cliches like, oh, you charge $500 an hour? You go down to zero to that. Oh, and you got to hire other coaches. So you're not actually doing the coaching. You're just managing it. She was ready to quit the mastermind then and there because they missed the part that she really enjoyed doing it. She just wanted to make more money doing right. it. Better, you know, a diagnostic approach might have said, well, maybe in addition to her private coaching, she should also have a group mastermind. Maybe, right. uh, maybe she should partner with another coach who's savvy on the coaching and really needs to hitch their wagon to another marketing engine uh, and be able to double the business that way. Uh, it also could be that she might be well advised to use the mastermind experience to generate separate multiple streams of income so that she can just have fun coaching. There are several right. different ways to approach that. When I see the just out of zero and just hire other people to do the things you do and only focus on the management, what if you're a sucky manager? <laughs> what if you hate? I, I, I think of a, a friend of mine who's been a car salesman his entire adult life. Uh, and he is on more than one occasion been promoted into management based on him being a really good salesman. Two weeks later, he was saying, put me back on the floor. Right. Right. Because he doesn't like management. He's not, he doesn't have the personality for management and his brilliance and his passion is working with the people who walk into the dealership and helping them get out of there with a vehicle they're going to enjoy and making yeah. some money for himself in the process. Yeah, common common error with corporate types is thinking that success in sales equals success potential in management. It's quite the opposite. Sometimes right. more mediocre salespeople are more in tune with coaching and training and developing their reps. And the sometimes the top performers just they don't understand why they're successful and, and much less can't explain it to the yeah. to the agents, much, you know, less uh, understand how to motivate people. So yeah, it's a very common issue. We we see that in our business all the time. You've got to ask yourself, do you really want Don Draper in your C-suite? Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, I think, and I, I think these are just things to think about when we look at the difference between solopreneurship and you know, what they like to call entrepreneurship, because those are positioned as two separate things. And it's important, in my view, and I'm so glad we had the opportunity to have this conversation, that you have the ability that if something happens to you, money will still come in. It's also important to understand why you're really here, why you're doing the things you do, and what it is you don't want to do. In my podcast, Reach System, which is my program that launches podcasts for entrepreneurs, the first thing, like if you were to join the program, David, the first thing that you would do is you would create three avatars, one of your listeners and one of your guests, obviously. But the first mm -hmm. avatar you'd create is one of yourself. They don't often share that in build your customer avatar exercises. The first one right. you have to build is of yourself. It's powerful to take that outside looking in approach and answer a series of questions about yourself as if you're critiquing yourself in the third person because you realize things 
that you just don't see because you're in the tunnel. Basically, what it does is it puts you right. outside the tunnel, so you're out of your tunnel vision. You can see yourself as the train rather than, than the darkness of the tunnel. Right. Part of the exercise is also you create an anti-avatar. Some of my clients uh, get all giggly about it and say, oh, yeah, so this one's named Karen. So let's, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, or, or, or Brad or Chad or whatever, uh, just, to be, just to be fair. And, um, and that's very important because that kind of exercise could surface. I love being an insurance agent. I don't know that I would want to manage a team of agents. Right. We can right. think of some realtors. Some realtors get all geeked about the fact we're part of the team. And yeah. then there, and then I have, and there's one realtor I'm thinking of right now who is also a motivational speaker, also um, host <laughs> of an award winning podcast, uh, also a life coach, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, this particular one isn't really big on the team thing. They're big on I sell expensive houses to affluent customers because I enjoy. I enjoy raising the circle of the five people closest to me, which is right. consistent with all of their other brands. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, um, it's an interesting thing, you know, in our, in our agency, I recruit agents nationally. Again, I, I, I don't consider them. They're not technically for the sake of the IRS and employee, um, but they're more of a joint venture partner. And we think of them as a business owner and we're partners in building their business. Right. And, and again, it's a totally different culture than what you'll see is this big rah-rah team thing, which really is compelling for a lot of people. It really probably is more compelling than my, you know, my approach to the, to the recruiting side of the business. But ultimately at the end of the day, it's you that is going to be responsible for your success or failure. Your team is there to encourage you, I guess, but you got to go out there and, find prospects. You got to convince them to buy. You got to convince them that your product's better than the other. And you got to work on yourself and self-improve and do the things that are necessary to grow. And you can never take that away from it. You know, so for me, it's as long as the focus is on how do I grow and become better as a, as a rep or an agent or a salesperson or whatever. And can I, how can I add more skill sets to my, to my toolbox to help me do better? as long as we keep our eye on that as being the most important versus, you know, teamwork for just the sake of camaraderie, but no necessarily, you know, uh, big picture, you know, goal of doing better and growing better. You know, we got to keep things in perspective, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. So we've planted a number of seeds throughout this conversation, very subtly and very quietly. So I'm going to name a few of them right now. And then since we're at the end here, I'm going to then turn it over to you one more time. So among the seeds we planted is how to be a more effective salesperson, uh, how to succeed and enjoy a quote unquote unsexy industry that could be very lucrative and profitable for you and still have a hell of a lot of fun doing it. We've planted, we've uh, also planted the seed of what type of business do you really want to have? Uh, we planted a few others as well. Those are the ones that are coming immediately to mind. Oh, yeah. We also planted the how do you create multiple streams of income and how do you develop side hustles that, again, may not be the sexiest thing out there, but they can also be very lucrative if done properly with moderate barriers to entry and moderate paths to good success. So with all that in mind, uh, David, let's wrap up. Uh, I know you have a website, which is www.daviddoford, that's D-A-V-I-D-D-U-F-O-R-D.com. And tell us a bit about what people find on that website. And sure. if they're leaning at the edge of their seat, looking to take the next step with you, what that looks like. Absolutely. So if you go to that site, you're going to see a lot of free resources available for anybody who, if you think of, your, think of yourself on a funnel, uh, at the end of the funnel is you're, a, you're an insurance agent selling something. Um, it's content really designed for people who are at the beginning or the top of the funnel or just getting into the funnel. Um, I got lots of free resources on the industry at large, why a, of helpful articles, interviews, et cetera, on the different niches that are available. Um, so if you're just getting started or thinking about it, you'll see the free resource guide in the menu. Just go there and click on it. That's a great place to start. And of course, if you want to learn more about my agency, you'll see a frequently asked questions link in the menu. Just click that and you get a lot of insight to what I'm looking for in an agent and who's going to be a good fit for me too. And I will add this too, Adam, if you want to learn more about me, probably the best place to go besides my website is YouTube and to throw in David Duford into the search 
and then you can go down the uh, YouTube black hole of videos and, you know, who knows where you'll end up, but hopefully well, you're knowledgeable <laughs> about insurance sales. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So again, I'll say it one more time for those who are all jogging. It's uh, David Duford. His last name is spelled D-U-F-O-R-D.com. Check out that website. It's a really clean site. It's got a lot of great information. I myself was able to easily navigate through uh, the store section, the blog section, and there are various opportunities for you. Just go there and see it for yourself. And with that, David Duford, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you. Appreciate it. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.